Welcome to the No Film School podcast. This is Gigi Hawkins. And I don't know about you, but every now and then I find myself going down a rabbit hole of a docu-series or a documentary or a true crime podcast. And I don't know why I can't look away. I don't know why I spend so much time fixating on this thing that happened. It's not usually falling into the bucket of something that is newsworthy, but we come back to these characters. We come back to these stories and there's something about them being real that I think keeps us coming back for more. And we can go into the entire world of true crime some other day, but Today, we're sitting down with the team behind the documentary subject, as well as the documentary short, Chasing Butterflies, to unpack the ethics of documentary filmmaking. Right now, tens of millions of people are consuming documentaries in this unprecedented golden era of doc filmmaking. But these are films and subjects, specifically the film subject that urges audiences to consider the impact of these stories on the documentary participants. In our conversation, we unpack the sort of murky ethical dilemmas and complex relationships that exist between people who are participating on the film, aka the people whose stories we follow, and the documentary filmmakers themselves. The film Subject explores the life-altering experiences of sharing one's life on screen through key participants of acclaimed documentaries like The Staircase, Hoop Dreams, and The Wolf Pack. The people who were featured in these documentaries in this documentary subject, we're getting a little meta here, reveal the highs and lows of their experience as well as the everyday realities of having to have lived their lives under a microscope. We also unpack a short film called Chasing Butterflies, which follows a self-taught artist from a one-horse town in rural Alabama, an artist who can't easily be categorized and nor can his art. It's a layered portrait and I thought it was an interesting subject to bring into the conversation with the team behind the documentary subject because it looks at one man's life over the course of 20 minutes. The roundtable between these filmmaking teams took place earlier this year at the Nevada City Film Festival, an independent film festival in Northern California, and we recorded it in the National Exchange Hotel, this gold rush hotel from 1956, which is actually really old for California, that has been revived. So I apologize if the quality of the audio is a little echoey. We were in a historic and large room, but I do think the conversation is worth it. I want to also call out the joy of being at a small regional festival that really put a lot of TLC into curating a filmmaking experience, both for people in the town of Nevada City and around Nevada City, but also for the filmmakers who got to come out and connect with each other in a beautiful setting. It's definitely worth checking out. It's definitely worth exploring these smaller, quote unquote, festivals for a more personalized experience as a filmmaker, as an audience member. I know that the Nevada City Film Festival has their regular deadline coming up on December 15th. You can check them out on Film Freeway. And 
This conversation, I think, mirrors what it's like to be at a smaller regional festival. You can go deep. You can really get personal. You can get into process. And in our conversation today for the No Film School podcast, we unpack these filmmakers' process, how they chose their story, how they examined the ethics and the impact of the stories they choose to tell, and challenge the way that we've been doing it. So let's dig in to this ethical minefield of documentary filmmaking. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, thank you all for being here, joining us. We're here at the Nevada City Film Festival, this charming festival here in the... Nevada City is in California. This is like the biggest misconception. And we're uh, at the National Exchange Hotel. Does anyone know how old this place is? Yes. How old are we talking? Well, I don't know for the years, but it was established in 1856. What, so so we're, these walls are haunted, definitely. It's like, what, 180 years old or 170 years old? Yeah, that's old. So for our podcast listeners, if you hear some creaking, that's what that is. We're in a very old, old space, not of recording studio. Well, appreciate you all coming through to talk, come onto the podcast. Before we get started, would you mind telling me your names and the role that you played on your respective films? Sure. My name is Jen Teixeira, and I am one of the co-directors of the film Subject. My name is Suzanne Reisenbickler, and I'm a co-producer in Subject. Uh, my name is Matthew Klug, and I'm a producer and director on Chasing Butterflies. I also threw the role of Cat Wrangler in as my title through the whole process. My name is Josh Harding. I am the DP and director of Chasing Butterflies. Say more about the cat wrangling role before we dig in. There's a lot of people in our film for a small film and a lot of strong personalities. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, a lot of different time zones and a lot of opinions, but all really good people. So yeah, that was my role mostly. Nice, yeah. nice. That does feel like the producer role is this catch-all, keeping everything together that often we don't see. So I, I think we should absorb that title and, and own it. So in today's conversation, I'd love to focus on the process of documentary filmmaking. We're in this interesting time where this industry has exploded and we're like decade like a decade into that documentary filmmaking moment and we're also turning a mirror on the storytelling itself the examining the ethics and the impacts of the stories we tell so that's something we'll be exploring today but let's start with how you the beginning of your journeys how did you come to the world of documentary a little oddly i guess so i grew up in lake tahoe and i was a snowboarder a little closer. Oh, sorry. Right there. Split the difference? Split the difference. Perfect. Okay. I grew up in Lake Tahoe. I was a snowboarder. And so in high school, we would put together little snowboarding reels. It was before Avid or any of those things, but I did have some experience with a camera and putting, you know, like the, we call them the chuk chuk machines where you put the in point and the out point and then lay it to film. And that was how we gained sponsorships and got 
I mean, sponsorships for us were like stickers and stuff like that. But, you know, that was kind of where I got familiar with that. And then eventually had a professor in college who made short films and knew how to edit. And it was something that kept following me. I started out as a documentary film editor, been doing that for 25 years, and then started directing about 10 years ago. How about you, Suzanne? I came into the world of documentary when I was in my first, I participated in my first documentary, The Wolf Pack. And I was not too familiar with documentaries. Like I'd seen some on, of course, PBS and National Geographic about, you know, places in Africa and the national parks in this country. But I hadn't really focused on when it's about people and about what's happening in their world, in this culture or in other cultures. So as I was slowly introduced to that, it became very fascinating. I was very interested. And actually, you know, speaking truthfully, I really enjoy watching documentaries more than I do regular films now. Why is that? Because I know it's real. The story's real. It's not about somebody's fictionalized, imaginative thing that happened, or it's not an over-dramatization of somebody's life. It's like, this is what happens. This is the real world. And I'm just fascinated by it. And after your experience being part of a documentary, you've moved into a producer role and a role where you're actively helping create the documentaries. Can you speak a little bit to that? Well, what I'm doing now is I found I have found myself going into uh, work as a consultant. In this summer, I'll be consulting on a film that features an autistic boy, and. It will be working with his family to make sure that they're taken care of and they're seen and heard in the way they need to be. And also in their relationship with the film crew. And not only that, but with the film crew itself, because I'm sure in the process of filming documentaries and getting all of that footage, a lot of the film crew are triggered with things that come up that maybe they're just, I'm on the job. I can't think about that or process that. And they bury it or put it aside. But when they're triggered, it really helps to have support for that process also. We'll come back to that. How about you too? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've actually, I started in advertising. I'm actually still in advertising and the projects that we've been working on, this is our third film together, Josh and I, and also our other director, Adam, that's not here. These are just passion projects for us. And I actually, I love advertising. It's given my career and been able to move everywhere. Very, very fortunate. But as everybody finds out, like my favorite part about advertising was producing, making things. And so Along the way, I was like, well, then I had a couple of opportunities, not just pushing products, what advertising does, but also featuring people. And so I did two projects, one for Apple and one for Dignity Health, a healthcare company that actually highlighted the people that work there. And I'm like, oh, I really love telling these stories and highlighting these people. And it's really what I was passionate about. So as time goes on, I was like, Josh was like, we should do something together. And so we found our first subject and then we did our second and we just finished our third and working on our fourth. So it's like, I think at the end of the day, it's just like, I like telling stories of good people and highlighting them and making them look good for what they're doing. 
And so that's really why I love it. I'm why we're doing this. So I went to Savannah College of Art and Design and I studied film and photography. Both of those programs kind of they ask a lot of you as far as developing a body of work, if it's film or if it's photography. So you kind of have to f- take a focus. And I focused more on photography, doing documentary photography. And then that kind of spilled over into my early professional career, wanting to make a living. Like I, obviously I need to pay rent, health insurance, all that kind of stuff. And so I had 10 years of just doing commercial advertising photography. And then I think like around like you know a couple of years ago, um, I kind of had the itch to make a film. I reached out to Matt and I said, you know, I think I have an interesting story here. I think we should go for it. And we did that. And, and like you said, we're on our, we just finished our third and we're working on our fourth. So that's how I kind of got started. Thank you for providing the context of the fact that these are passion projects and that you have day jobs that pay your bills. We've been in conversation throughout the festival with uh, filmmakers who are teachers, who work in advertising, who are editing full-time. And I think it's very easy to assume that this is our full-time job when in reality, it's very hard to just be a filmmaker and have that be a sustainable practice when you're just working on your project. So whether, and a ton of our listeners are actually working in advertising as well. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I mean, I'll say to that too, when when I throw out the notion of Cat Wrangler, the reason that a lot of it was because everybody that's part of our projects have full-time jobs Mm -hmm. and they're also, you have to be respectful of their time and they're all A-level people, very, very fortunate to work with those people. So it's like, we don't really have hard deadlines. We have deadlines we go towards, but when people have full-time jobs, you can only ask so much of them. And so very, very fortunate to be, have all those people and continue to have those people that want to work with us. So you have to be very careful of how, how you use their time. Can we actually talk about that in particular? Managing, we have a dog on the podcast as well, Birdie, who has jumped up on a lap and is is has thoughts as well on this. But let's talk about when people have, when you're working with people who have full-time jobs and you are cat wrangling and, and advocating for your project, which is other people's side hustle, how do you manage that? How do you respect folks' times and um, how do you balance it all? I think the at the core of all of this, whether it's your crew or whether it's your participants, it's all about transparency. When you're bringing the people around you that you're going to go you know, into battle with, I think it's extremely important that you all are in it for the same reasons and that it, everything's out on the table. I think it's really important if you, you're a mom that, you know, like this is how much I, time I need with my family. If I have a full-time job, this is, you know, going to be my priority here. And I think it's just making sure that when, you know, we call it the North Star, whether it's with our own company, Lady and Bird, or whether it's with our projects or whether it's stuff that we do for network. That North Star isn't just for you and your participants. It's for you and your entire crew of the sacrifices. Because it's, to be honest, it's mostly sacrifice. There is the finishing of the project, which is beautiful and amazing. But ultimately, there is going to be a lot of sacrifice involved. And being clear about those expectations and boundaries are really important. I'm going to drill in a little bit further on that initial conversation. Because we have a lot of emerging filmmakers who are gathering together often to make their first or maybe their first feature documentary. They're in that early stage. What is that expectation setting conversation? And this could also be something you were, Suzanne, you were talking about fostering relationships with the film crew early on. So what are those early expectation setting conversations like to make sure that you're on the same page and people aren't feeling, you know, 
blindsided when the going gets tough. I mean, I'll, I mean, I'll say that it's, yeah, I think you have to have those honest conversations up front. And I think the one thing that we're fortunate enough, uh, I, I would say to people, show them the type of work you're trying to make or show your portfolio work so everybody understands at what level you're trying to get to. And I think if everybody understands, it's like, hey, we're looking for A-level stuff. Do you have the time to commit to this? And just be upfront with them. If they don't, then you have to move on. It's nothing against that person. But we had a really hard time finding an editor for our last project because it was a lot of work. And we got very, very fortunate with our editor that we found. And But we had to wait on him. It was like, we shot last fall. He had other projects going on. He adopted a kid. But it's like, we I think we shot in November and we didn't see anything until February. But that was the world we were living in. We wanted to work with this person and he was going to give us his time. So we had to be respectful of his time. And we were very, very lucky of that. And I think it's also being respectful of everybody during the process. And so they want to work with you again. Like our colorist is amazing. He's done our three films and he's like, let me know when the fourth one happens. I'll love to be a part of it. So it's like about building those relationships. And like you said, I think you have to be respectful of everybody, everybody's time. Yeah. One through line I'm noticing is that I think everyone here is a parent, right? Oh, no. I thought I saw, I thought I saw some kids running around, but Friends, kids, friends, kids, friends, kids. But, you know, even engaging in the conversation with with your editor who adopted somebody or adopted a child, (laughs) Um, like being a parent on set and being a leader as a parent is a whole other way of working, I think. And as a as we're just starting to get to the point where we're talking about like parental leave, I've heard of directors of documentary films in particular who have lost their healthcare because they are on an episodic documentary series and the DGA doesn't have support for parents in that way. So can we talk about like parenting on set? Yeah, I have a, I have three years of experience. My daughter's three. It's, we were talking about this last night when people are like, oh, it's not going to change. It changes everything. It really does. I think first and foremost, you have a different connection to the work. Uh, I tend to work on a lot of very heavy topic projects. Um, my last series for HBO was all survivors, five generations of survivors, whole, uh, most of which were women. And so listening to their stories and knowing I have my own daughter, it's just like a lens that you take a lot of that home with you. But, you know, look, our industry is hard. I, a lot of times the jobs I do take is to pay for my nanny so I can have her come with me and have, be, have her be on the road with me. And then I come home and I'm exhausted and I'm tired and I want to spend that time. So the balance is very complicated. But what I do love and what I think is so important about this conversation is the idea that we're having it, is the idea that other people are going through it. We're developing language, whether it's around participant care, whether it's around filmmaker care, that there's resources now. When you were speaking, I was thinking of the the dog framework, right? I, I always go back to that. And that's the documentary accountability working group. Uh, when I was coming up, the first step was grab a camera and shoot, ask for forgiveness later, get the shot at all costs. That just doesn't fly anymore. There's the first step now is that is outlined in this framework is this idea of reflection. Who am I to tell the story? What does the community think about me telling the story? What can I bring to the story? Is it enough? And what can I give back? What, you know, it, it's really breaking down all these things. And you do that with your crew and you do that with your potential participants. And then you sit down and have these transparency conversations. And there's a framework for that now. And I think that, you know, not like 
every single day. It's just a litany of mistakes. But how do you mitigate them? How do you recover from them? How do you make sure that they're not causing pain or re-traumatizing? Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately, it's these conversations and that transparency that will get us there. What I'd like to say, what I see in the overview of all of this perspective with the participants in a film and the crew and the time involved and the back and forth is I f- what I see is that we're entering a new era, so to say, of bringing the humanness back into filmmaking and relating as people and understanding as people. I think historically it's been like we're making this film and everything else is forgotten about just the film, just focus on the film and that's all. Forget about your partner or your mate, your children, your parents, you know, things that are going on, uh, you know, problems with your house or whatever it is. It's like, forget about that. This is it. And I feel like as we bring more humanness into it, it seems really overwhelming at first. And I feel like step by step, we're going to begin to have a much fuller and a much more depthful experience as the product of a film comes out because that, that depth in the humanness of relating between the crew with each other or between the crew and the participants or the actors that is going to be evident in the finished product of the film. It is going to feel more full because everyone who was participating had a much fuller experience. So I think it's only a positive benefit. Absolutely. I would just add to that. It's also good business. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, you know, we've shifted, right? We've left this golden age of documentary into this corporate age of documentary. And when a bottom line is involved, the first things to go are usually ethics. It's expensive and it's time consuming. However, it's still a business. And if the people at the center of your film are saying, this film destroyed me, this film was horrible, this film was made incorrectly and my family suffered or my community suffered because of it, it's bad business. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, even though we're coming at it from this very like humanity you know, place. And I think a lot of documentarians do, you know, it's something that we would like, you know, these bigger media conglomerates to start thinking about, you know, ultimately it's bad business. Let's talk about approaching your subjects as a documentary filmmaker. I, the fullness that you're describing, that is the benefit. I felt that fullness watching Chasing Butterflies. I felt invited into a world with somebody. And I felt like Butch Anthony, this artist that you guys were working with, was part of the narrative and engaging with what I assume was you two on set. But as a viewer, it was such an inviting, warm experience. And I could feel that. So how did you find him? And how did you start to what was the origins of let's make let's tell a story together? I'll try to shorten like how we found Butch. I think Butch came and did a art gallery showing in San Francisco. That's where Matt first saw his work, and so I think Matt bought a print at that time, and his work kind of always stuck with Matt. And then when we were looking for our next subject, 
we, you know, we had a lot of different candidates. We were reaching out. It, it was kind of the tail end of the pandemic and we were kind of stir crazy. We wanted to make something. We sent out, Matt sent out 25 emails, cold emails to people looking, you know, looking for stories, looking for subjects. Eventually Butch did get back to us and we had to send our previous films. And, and it was because of our previous films and how we approached those subjects. And that's the reason why Butch allowed us to come into his life. And, you know, my process for doing documentaries, and I don't know if it's, you know, I'm fairly new to the documentary world. I'm, I have experience doing documentary photography, and that's the way I approach documentary film is I show up, I don't, I ask questions, but other than that, I'm just a fly on the wall. I just want to document their life. I want to document what they're doing. And, you know, if they want to talk with me, they can. Or if they don't want to talk, we don't have to. And it's just about kind of respecting their space, respecting who they are. So that's, my, that's what I prefer to do when I'm doing documentary film. I just like to show up with a camera and just kind of like, let's just go through your day and let's just, you know, I'll just tag along. And then we can get in and it's all the nitty gritty of interviews. And, you know, obviously we need to try to find a theme and have a story, but it's like for, you know, for the first couple of days, let's just go around and let's capture your life. I will say too, when we, First, it took us a while for Butch to get back to us and his agent, he didn't want to do anything at first. There's been a lot of stuff done on Butch, but we felt there was nothing done correctly. There was a lot of like, it was just kind of cheesy Southern type hokey stuff. And I think there was still an opportunity to tell a real story about him. And I think when we finally spoke to him on the first Zoom call, just like tell him, Jennifer's agent was like, tell him why you like their films. And he's like, because they... There's not me talking the whole time. He doesn't like being on camera talking the whole time. And so I think he respected, like, we tell stories, you know, with watching their world. And it was pretty funny. Like, it's funny, like, which talks the entire film, but he does not like talking. Yeah. Like, we filmed the first day. We were there for five days. And after the first day, he woke up the next morning. He's like, my throat hurts. And he's like, I don't know if I can talk today. And I'm like, well, we're here nicely, you know, type of thing. But I think he... He realized we weren't doing the same thing that people just come in every day and do. And mm-hmm. I think that's how we built up that that bond Before. with him was the trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, subject in a very different way, instead of inviting the audience into the world of a single subject or character, you're picking up on multiple stories that already exist in the cultural conversation and you're allowing people to participate in their own stories. So can you talk about the process of finding the people who were featured in the film and what it was like to be part of the film and um, what it was like to pick up a story that has already been presented and giving that context? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally does. Subject was a giant experiment. It's unlike both Camille and I's previous work. I think it was really born out of an existential crisis of just wine drinking one night and being like, what are we doing? Camilla had just left a career in journalism and she was just like, what is this? You guys have no rules. This is crazy. I don't understand it. And for me, as a documentary film editor, I was making these really heavy choices about people's lives that could affect the rest of their lives without ever meeting them or knowing how their relationship to the project had had changed. And really that was the impetus to start producing and, and later directing. The way we it very serendipitously happened. Margie Ratliff from The Staircase had studied documentary and reached out to Camilla asking her if she had any projects that she could work on. And her and Camilla met for lunch and she said, well, you know, 
my uh, my friend Jen and I are thinking about this project. And we truly feel if Margie would have said, that's a dumb idea, we, we would have never made subject. But she said, you know, I've been on, she's at that point, I think she had been on the other side of the camera for 20 years. She said, I, I would never consider being in, a, in another documentary again. If you guys make this one, I want to be a part of it. And so that was really the start of like trying to pull apart these conversations that frankly had been happening behind closed doors for years and being like, what if we made a film about it? And touched on each of these things that we're up against as filmmakers and participants. But from the participant perspective, um, you know, payment, actually be calling, being called subjects versus participants. That was all, that was their decision to be called that. And so this, this was something that we started to pull apart. And again, made tons of mistakes along the way, but we're like, you know, for me, Hoop Dreams was why I got in the film. So that's how we reached out to Arthur and his family. Will was getting back surgery. William was, but Arthur A.G. and his family. I'd also been following the work of Cartemquin for years. And Gordon Quinn's like the granddaddy of all documentary ethics. I think him and Pat. And so that was pretty natural. The capturing the Freedmen's blew all of our minds. And so that was something Jesse was like, absolutely not. But when he met Margie, that was somebody who had gone through a very similar experience to him. And they really found solidarity and their shared experience. And ultimately it was because of Margie that he decided to be part of the film. I had a really great relationship with one of the exec producers on the Wolfpack and loved that film and was so taken by Suzanne and her family and their light and their strength. And so when I reached out to Mukunda, he was like, yes, but I really think that you need to talk to my mom. And we were like, Yes. And then lastly, we knew we wanted an international story. We wanted somebody who had been, you know, on the front lines and and Ahmed Hassan has had been featured in five different documentaries, had has been through so much as a revolutionary and had so many complex relationships with the films that he had been in prior to the square. When you meet Ahmed, I mean, just like a light, but it, here he had this Emmy nominated, Emmy win, winning, Oscar nominated filmmaker who was stuck in Istanbul, who couldn't go back to Egypt, who had to sell his camera. His story was not by any means over. And like so much of that was wrapped up in being a documentary participant. So all of them, it was like we did pick up, but it was like in this lens of what happens after the film when you're defined by this 90 minutes or in Ahmed's case, five sets of 90 minutes. And how do we look at some of these bigger things without, you know, it's not an expose. It's not a where are they now. It's not a like, look at the wrong way or the right way to do things. It's let's talk about them and have language to really see what um, the effects of this world can have on the people at the center of it. What I can say is initially I felt like I was just kind of coming along for the ride. (laughs) Like I was included and I was like, sure, I'll participate. And I really didn't have a clear idea of what I was getting into. It was just, oh, it's a documentary about documentary participants. Hmm, that sounds interesting. Okay. And then when I saw the finished product, I was like, wow, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I get it. And for me, it's been a an evolving process 
being I've been going to a lot of film festivals around the country and, you know, participating in forums and workshops and Q&As, even with like NYU and Columbia University. And so it's been an evolving process for me to really see foundationally what subject represents, how it's, I can't say a push, but it is a force. Be it gentle, somewhat gentle, it is a force in how we look at how films are made and what it requires to get the finished product out. And really, how ethical is that? And how can we change things and shift how we see things for the better, you know, to improve the lives, not only of the participants, but of the people who are making the film? Right. You know, yes. One of the things that I picked up on in a conversation that you two had in a Q&A yesterday at the Nevada Film Festival, Nevada City Film Festival, was how documentary can be a way a form for healing, uh, which I thought was fascinating. And it does feel like both of your projects do that. They, they bring the, the subjects into the conversation. And, and, and yeah, I, I think that is part of the reason why this conversation is happening. And the film subject is in conversation with the state of documentary. I'd love to hear about how your perspective has changed. And we'll move to, back to Chasing Butterflies. Josh and Matt, how has your perspective changed over the course of your first three films and going into number four, especially since you have such experience working with telling a story around a particular person? How has your perspective on documentary storytelling evolved and how has that impacted your process of making these films? Yeah, I think for me, like, I don't know if this will totally answer your question, but the, the one thing that we realized actually in all three of our films, and this is also coming from the advertising side of me, I think especially with Butch, they're very particular because he, it's his brand, mm-hmm. you know? So you're talking about, ours, our films are affecting differently because I think they're about people's brand. The one before was a Michelin star chef in San Francisco. The first one we produced was a female drag racer that has still ongoing. So they're when I look back at it, it is almost like we have to be respectful of the people, number one, but also respectful of their brands mm-hmm. because they have to, you know, especially in the case with Butch, he's like, he's a working, living artist. And yeah. so he's basing things off of sales and how, you know, how his life can move forward. So I think for me, it's like, yeah, the reason we started doing these was just to hang out with my friends, you know, and make things be creative. But then once we got into it a little bit, I'm like, oh, we have to be really respectful, which I always am respectful of everybody all the time, I feel like throughout my career. But it's like when you put somebody out there for a longer length of time, it's not a 30 second commercial or something mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, you are delving in. And so I think I, that's what I have been learning too, is like, I have to look forward. The next one we're working on is a participant, a teacher out of Oakland or like have to be really respectful because he's teaching a class that everybody's going to see. So I think that's how I've learned a little bit going Mm -hmm. through these is like thinking a little bit deeper than just top level. Let's go have some fun and go film somebody, you know, doing it. One thing that I learned this weekend was this idea of a consent calendar, which is, I'd never heard of it before, but 
a consent calendar is something that is established with the subject that you're working with. And throughout the process of filmmaking, there's checking in along the way. And it's something that you guys did with subject. Can you speak a little bit about what that is and how it worked in production? Sure. The the idea originated in subject. It was something that we were doing that we weren't really aware that we were doing until I had to phrase it for my next project with HBO and um, apply it at a much bigger level. But ultimately, what we decided to do was, you know, as a filmmaker, you tend to take on all these roles. And, and you know, again, we use this huge umbrella of documentary. And under that umbrella, there's all di- different kinds of documentary. A lot of the films that we're speaking about center around people or communities who are some t- tend to be marginalized and or have experienced some intense or trauma. So I do think that, you know, there's a lot more there can be a lot at at stake in those situations when it comes to re-traumatization. So, you know, you have to dig in a little bit more to make sure that you're protecting people. So as filmmakers, sometimes we get a little caught up and not only are we the filmmaker that has to deliver a product to get paid, but we tend to be the social worker and the psychologist and the psychiatrist and the lawyer and everything under the sun. And so one thing that we really wanted to make sure is that our participants had access to mental health care. Uh, we hired Dr. Camila Rashad, who's also part of DOG, who's a trained psychotherapist, to be our participant advocate, and then realized the role was so much more involved and deeper than that and made her our EP. And she's truly a face of this experiment that we call subject. Once her role was established, it was immediately checking in with their participants. And then, you know, we worked on setting that North Star that we had already kind of set individually with them. But the five of them, six of them, were going to be representing the film. The language we were going to use around that, what we were collectively trying to achieve, one-on-ones with Dr. Cam, everything that they could expect from rollout. Uh, We also workshopped the film with the original directors, which was a very long process. And we wanted them all to be aware of those conversations, involved in those conversations. In Suzanne's case, you know, Makunda and Suzanne are part of the film, but her other sons are not. And that was something that we needed to go back and address and make sure that not only were they not in the film, but that we weren't using footage of them. And that was something that that happened. We did that, I think, a couple of weeks before Tribeca, where we had to re-edit the film because we had to make... But it was really having that third person in that role that held us accountable and kept us. And then we realized as we went on to our next project, or my specifically my next project, I was working with survivors. And this wasn't an independent film. And... I knew there was going to be points along the way that I was going to completely lose my control to the network and to the company. So that's really what informed our consent calendar on that project. I was able to sit down with each of them and be like, this is the day that I lose my control here. You have to choose whether you're anonymous or not anonymous. This is the last day that you have, like after this point, I don't know that I can pull you from the project. And the consent calendar was based on this, again, North Star that we had all collectively agreed upon not just us, but HBO and Jigsaw as well, that we were not going to do anything to put their mental health, their physical safety, or their pending court cases in danger or at risk. And so we were always able to go back to that that almost like mission statement or ethos. And so I do think like that just makes it easier, right? And then 
So the consent calendar is like this loose term that we use where it's a date that everyone's aware of that keeps us all accountable, that we're able to revisit and know that things are going to change, but we all, we have this great um, foundation for these conversations. Mm -hmm. Now, as we wrap up here, first of all, if there's anything else you guys want to talk about regarding your films, now is the time. Uh, But as we wrap up, I'd love to hear what advice you have for emerging filmmakers who are entering the documentary space and just getting their start? How can they be putting their best foot forward for themselves and for their subjects? I mean, I think it starts with finding a community. I think that's really important and building relationships. You know, obviously I I met Matt and then between who he knows in the advertising world and between who I know, you know, we just start to build that community and find that community of makers. So I think you have to kind of put yourself out there. You have to go to film festivals, you know, social media, all those things to, to try to find that community. I mean, that's really important. Yeah, I think I kind of touched on it before. But I think it's worth saying again, it's like, I, it's my general rule in life too, is just be good to people. And especially if you're in the advertising world, it's a cutthroat, it's a harsh world. But building those relationships with people, like I said, the editors, the colorists, the sound people, during that time when you're paying them, and then when you come back to ask favors, you know, they're not like, well, why are you asking me? You treated me like this way or whatever. So it's like, it's having trust and building those people around you, I, I think is a great thing. And I'd also say like for advertising specifically, sorry to keep going back to it, but you mentioned it's like, I lived in a world of like 30 seconds a minute. So our first short was four minutes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing a four minute thing. It was crazy. And then our second was six minutes. And then Chasing Butterflies was 20. And so it's, I think it's just building it up to see what it takes, I think is a nice way to do it. And then it gives you confidence as you go. I'm like, oh, I can do maybe an hour. I don't know, yeah. maybe, maybe. But I think it's just, yeah, taking steps along the way. Do you know how refreshing it is to watch a four minute short? So refreshing. Well, also, I think it makes you... Also, my role in my regular job is I oversee films coming in mm-hmm. and I'm like, I bet you can take, you know, like it's a six minute film. I'm like, I bet you can get that down to three and a half minutes and it'll be just as great, if yeah. not better. And they're like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, try it and you can do it. You know? So I think it's having those lens of people around you to push you too. Mm-hmm. So it's not just yourself thinking that you can do it all. Absolutely. Absolutely. What I feel I would say to emerging filmmakers is to... First of all, the first step is to take the time and question themselves about why they want to do a documentary or a film about this particular subject or this particular issue or this family or this person. Really, what and be sincere and honest with themselves. Mm -hmm. What is it that propels them? to think that they want to tell that story and really reflect on that and know, is it something that maybe they had an injustice done to them in their life? And so now they want to showcase what that kind of injustice does to other people, or is it because they were triggered in some way by an event and this is their way to get revenge, you know, for what happened. And I'm not saying that one has priority over the other. I feel like it adds more depth and more perspective to initially 
really, really honestly look at those hard questions about why do I want to do this and to be honest with themselves. And once they are honest with themselves and it's clear about really why they want to do this film, because let's face it, most people are not in it for the money because (laughs) that's not going to happen too easily. So what is it about that? And if they're very clear on that, I feel like there's success in the whole process of getting the film made is going to flow much more easily. Yeah, I think everyone kind of touched on it. I would say find your people. I mean, whether it's your storytelling partners, your allies in the industry, whether you're a film student and you need to find your community of of people to um, execute this idea of what you've collectively decided on this project is going to be. Uh, I do think that documentary is and always should be this really intense collaboration. And I think it's why I've never really solidified myself as one thing. I think it's very, very fluid. And I find myself, you know, as a director getting coffee more times than not on set and, you know, and having more control as an editor than I do as a director. So I do think that this idea of collaboration and documentary filmmaking is something that, you know, I think that the minute that I've seen things fall apart is when ego gets involved or the conversation turns to money because there is none. Don't quit your day job. Yeah. Like ultimately. But I would say, yeah, that community and those allies and those people, going back to what Josh was saying, is truly what will get you through. Thank you. And last question, where can our listeners follow your work and see your films? I don't know if they're public. Sure. So we, subjectfilm.com, or no, subject.film, subjectdocumentary.com. Jesus, I don't even know. We're on social media, subject documentary. We have distribution in every part of the world, theatrical in Korea, we're man. Uh, however, our, we're still working our deal here out in the US and so hopefully we'll be out soon. And then, you know, our other work, I think Lady and Bird Films is the rest of our films Perfect. that we've been working on. Subject.film. Subject.film. So Thank you, Gigi. for that. Yeah, our film is still doing a little bit of festival run. And so it's still protected a little bit. I will say this is a cheap commercial pitch, but we just finished wrapping. We're doing an album with Butch. He's doing storytelling. (gasps) And we literally just, that whole process of vinyl is so crazy, but I just figured that world out. And we just turned it over to get the vinyl done. And it's going to be out in October. And it's not just that we did it, Butch is a very special person and the story is are so funny and so great. And so I think probably in October, it's going to be out. I think what we're going to do is we're going to do a downloadable link to the film with the album. So that's going to be at museumofwonder.com. Museumofwonder.com. Yeah. And then just Josh and mine are just personal sites. Like mine's mattklug.com. And what is yours? Just my Instagram. Josh. Great. Thank you all for joining. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to our guests for unpacking the process of creating these documentaries of how we tell stories and why we tell stories. I think it's really important for us as storytellers to know when we are impacting other people's lives, whether it's scripted or doc or 
fiction, nonfiction. I mean, what's the difference? We're all telling stories at the end of the day that impact people's lives. And we need to be responsible in our choices at every stage because we hold that power. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. You can get more No Film School at nofilmschool.com. You can also like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast across all podcast platforms. You can also follow us on social media at No Film School. Let us know what you thought of this episode. We'd love to hear more. We know we have a huge documentary filmmaking audience, and we want to hear about the challenges and questions that you are facing as the person who holds the power in these stories. Thanks. Thanks.